Welcome to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Supply Chain, sponsored by EY. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Arlene Joyner, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Director of the Office of Industrial-Based Management and Supply Chain for the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response at the Department of Health and Human Services. Arlene, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Usually when I talk to folks for these shows, we know what they do. We know what they, you know, they're a CIO, they're in data management, they're in customer experience. You're just a little different because what your role is, is really managing this huge thing around supply chain, around medical equipment, all the things that HHS does. So I'm going to start us at the beginning. What is the mission of the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response? Tell us a little bit about what your role is and your mission. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, we're a new department, so um, welcome this chance to share a little bit more about what we do and what our mission is. Um, so last year, uh, HHS Secure, I'm sorry, the HHS Secretary Bezerra, um, he elevated ASPR, and again, that's the, it was Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response to an optive within HHS. So we got renamed as part of that change. So we're now the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response. Um, and ASPR really, we lead the nation's medical and public health preparedness efforts uh, for preparedness, for response, and for recovery for disasters and other public health emergencies. So I think a lot of uh, the general public aren't aware of these things that we work on. So I wanted to, if I can, take an opportunity to share a little bit about what we do. Um, we do this through collaborations with hospitals, healthcare coalitions, biotech firms, community members, state, local, tribal, and territorial governments. Um, and really private sector companies are really the foundation for how we get a lot of our work done and we meet our mission. Um, when there's a crisis, and there's always a crisis, it seems, that impacts the U.S. healthcare system or the public health and medical supply chain or industrial base, ASPR is usually on the front lines and, and we're trying to help address those responses. Uh, we have been integral, as many of you know, in the COVID-19 response over the last three years. We've had experts who worked on or worked with industry to develop, manufacture, and distribute medical products like vaccines, the test kits, and the therapeutics. And we also had uh, boots on the ground. We had several of our national disaster medical system personnel who are thousands of healthcare providers out in the field and helping to relieve uh, the workforce uh, shortages in hospitals across the country. Uh, another pretty recent activity has been the monkeypox issue. When that gripped the nation, we helped combat that outbreak by making the vaccine available and treatments to our public health partners in states and the major metropolitan areas. Uh, we did a lot of focus on ensuring that those vaccines and treatments were distributed uh, to the most affected communities and maintain focus on fair and equitable distribution of the product. Um, other things that we do, when the country experienced a shortage on infant formula, Asper rose to the occasion again. We orchestrated the delivery of 6.2 million pounds of baby formula um, from overseas into the country, into communities across the country. Um, we called this Operation Fly Formula. Um, other things, we keep watch on Ebola development in Uganda that's been happening. Um, we assist communities with recovery from natural disasters like hurricanes and floods. And we continue to engage with health departments and hospitals across the country to maintain situational awareness on the pediatric RSV um, infections that are happening also currently. So the underlying theme, theme of what we do 
um, from the development of vaccines and therapeutics to combating diseases like COVID and also supporting the onshoring of drug manufacturing is ensuring that America has access to the medical products that we need when we need them. Um, so to better prepare for that, um, those emergencies, especially ASPA created our office. So the Office of Industrial-Based Management and Supply Chain uh, to provide oversight of the public health industrial base. And we are very new. Um, so you're right, not a lot of uh, people know about us because we were born really out of the COVID response. Um, these activities that we work on include end-to-end -end visibility of the medical supply and equipment devices and pharmaceuticals. We provide a landscape of supply chain information. Uh, and this is really to inform some of our industrial-based investments for both expansions and capacity preservation. Um, one of the other things that we're working on along with those investments is working with the companies, the private sector to ensure economic viability um, of their industrial base and their capacities. Again, all of this is for preparedness. We wanna make sure that these capacities, this industrial base is around for future pandemics and, and public health emergencies. So long answer, so I hope that helped. No, I really appreciate it because I think, as you said, and folks may not know everything you did and, and they think COVID-19 and as you said, you're born out of COVID-19, but it really shined a light on the bigger issue around supply chain for medical equipment. And as you said, there's always a crisis and, and it could yeah. be a, a tornado or a hurricane and that could create a medical crisis just as easily or a need for more equipment. So maybe talk a little bit about that connection as you're working, as you're looking at the supply chain, how does that, what's that strategy like? How do you you know, talking to industry, talking to hospitals, how do you collect all that data? Can you, can you talk a little bit about those efforts? Yeah, well, um, data is a critical point. Um, it's something that we rely on so that we can make informed decisions. Um, you know, I'd say one of the examples is we leverage data and analytics to track the overall health supply of our uh, supply chain. So we want to use data to alert us of potential challenges that might be on the horizon. For instance, for the COVID response, um, we use data from wastewater sampling that's been critical and vital to um, assessing COVID spread throughout the country. And we've used that data to leverage how we're managing test kit allocations as well as distribution for PPE, for example. Um, we also leverage a vast amount of transactional data that is provided by our industry partners. So the manufacturers, the distributors, that kind of data on um, where sales are going or um, how their deliveries are going, uh, that information is partnered with our supply chain control tower. Um, and that helps us again, monitor the public health industrial base and focus on critical aspects of the supply chain that we need to be aware of. Um, and this type of data, again, helps to, to anticipate and resist these, resist these disruptions. And then we can recover more quickly if we know what's happening in the field. I love that idea of a supply chain control tower. Is you, you barred it from maybe the FAA folks? What's happening, where, and when, and and, and how how everything kind of comes together? Can you maybe delve into that a little bit about what that looks like, how that works? Yeah. So again, it's it's data collection. Um, honestly, it's a little bit limited at this time because I, it was also born out of COVID. So from a funding perspective, that's how it's supported. So it is definitely focused on COVID-related um, activities. So um, it's something that we are looking into to see if there's ways to expand that as we go beyond COVID um, and collecting data. So right now they focus on predominantly uh, distributor data 
on COVID tests, COVID PPE, um, and those kinds of commodities. And, and it helps us, again, informs us to let us know where there are gaps and where there are areas that maybe um, we need to you know, pay a little bit more attention to and try to anticipate um, to prevent a disruption before it happens. And I imagine it's some sort of dashboard slash some sort of data analytics tool that you can say, okay, this part of the country is red or this part of the country is green. Is, is there any more you can tell us just kind of how it works in terms of what you see or what your what your teammates see? Yeah, especially during the height of COVID, the supply chain control tower provided very regular data. Um, uh, I have to say a lot of it is proprietary and confidential. It's not, not something that's published um, to the public, but it's definitely something that was critical for the use um, during our response efforts um, internal to the government. I appreciate that. I realize there's some sensitivities there, but I think, it, again, it's a great use of uh, taking something from the FAA and, and, and kind of reapplying it to, to something you're doing. I want to talk a little bit of the data piece is really important because that's really driving this evolution of supply chain and how Asper or really anyone else is managing it. Can you talk a little bit about how your strategy and what you've learned from the pandemic over the last few years and how you're applying those lessons? Yeah, a lot of lessons learned. And I think, you know, not even for just us, I think for the whole nation, there was lessons lessons learned in really every aspect and every sector. Um, I, I think one of the big things is during the height of the pandemic, U.S. companies encountered multiple challenges uh, with their supply chains. Um, three of the big ones I think we recognize is first, everyone in the world was looking for the same supplies at the same time, right? There was, for us specifically, we had multiple vaccines and therapeutics being delivered or being developed with the expectation that they would be delivered as quickly as possible. And all of those resources in the biotech pharma industry come from same, some of the same suppliers, right? So if you're filling vial, uh, vaccines into vials, those vials uh, suppliers are gonna be, are gonna have a spike in demand. So that's one example. So definitely um, most of the suppliers were not ready for that. Um, most of the PPE and diagnostic supplies, it was something that was recognized early was that those and their raw materials really come from abroad. So there was not a big industrial base um, here in the US. So a lot of that had to be imported. And then the third is really just-in-time logistics. And that's nothing new. It's something from a manufacturing inventory supply chain perspective has been um, a philosophy that the country has moved to uh, many of the manufacturers, not even just in public health over the last few decades. So, but what that means is they don't have an excess of the raw materials or even their finished products sitting in the shell on the shelves or in their warehouses. So it limits ability to react to a surge in demand. So, you know, those are three really big issues. Um, again, we, we could say it was a proverbial perfect storm because all of these hit at the same time um, and it impacted our ability to provide um, products to the general public. Um, also the pandemic unveiled the need for industrial-based management supply chain at a scale never really seen in this country before. Uh, the government really did not have a big um, influence on supply chain in terms of monitoring and, um, you know, looking for disruptions or predicting those types of things. And of course, with the COVID response, it was a, at a national level. Um, so it's something that we know we have to keep a watchful eye on, um, domestic industrial base to make us resilient, and then also ensuring that there's viability with those companies that are within the U.S. So we have companies that existed, 
Some were stood up as part of COVID, and some are still being um, standing up now uh, to increase that capacity, ensure, again, we have the availability and that they can respond um, with that surge in demand for that next public health emergency. Um, I would say one of our greatest lessons learned is how vital uh, public-private partnerships are. And again, I mentioned that's something that uh, ASPR has utilized since the beginning. Um, we had a lot of very successful public-private partnerships. We recognize that we can't do it ourselves. We're relying really on these uh, private companies, their technologies, um, and their manufacturing abilities to help meet the needs when these crises happen. Um, what we do with them and part of those relationships is sharing the cost of development and manufacturing expansion, which means we share financial risk, we help improve efficiencies, we help accelerate development, all the while sustaining a marketplace that guarantees that they're still gonna have commercial market availability outside of the government, um, but also access to these countermeasures uh, we need for vital, vital to our national security. Um, so making these connections with manufacturers is critical. Another aspect I think that we learned um, was a big lesson was our collaboration with other government agencies as well. Um, many of you know, one of our biggest challenges during COVID was resources and logistics. And it's just something we did not have enough to do all the work. So we've relied heavily on a partnership with the DOD um, and that was a huge success. Um, DOD really helped manage a lot of our contracting efforts and program management, but we also had other USG agencies collaborating with us, CDC, NIH, FDA. So again, it was a whole of government type of effort. Um, and, and honestly, the progress we made to date couldn't have been done without those collaborations. So we're immensely th thankful and grateful. Um, so I was going to say, that, you know, the other thing is we've just really gone to a lot of effort to um, enhance the industrial base. Again, a lot of investment and support for uh, those companies or those industries that we did not have domestic manufacturing. And now that we've started those investments, we're really working hard to help sustain those uh, companies again, uh, to make sure that we get value for our, uh, our taxpayer dollar and that they're here for us when we need them um, during future pandemics. Arlene, you teased a little bit of our next part of our conversation about maybe the industrial base expansion connect, but we're gonna take a break first. We'll come back, we're gonna jump into that and figure out what that is. My guest today is Arlene Joyner, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Director of the Office of Industrial Based Management and Supply Chain for the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response at the Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Supply Chain, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. Government agencies face pressure to modernize programs and optimize operations. With EY, you can unleash the power of progress and move from strategy to execution. We are at the forefront of shaping how the government responds to complex challenges, providing technology-enabled solutions to help you transform at the federal, state, and local levels. Together, we are building a stronger country for the people. Learn more at ey.com govmod. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Supply Chain, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Arlene Joyner, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Director of the Office of the Industrial Based Management and Supply Chain for the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response at the Department of Health and Human Services. Arlene, before break, you talked about a couple kind of those lessons learned from COVID, the pandemic, and, and kind of ongoing. You mentioned a couple of key words there. You call it a collaboration, not just with government, but public-private partnership. 
you talked about this need to enhance the industrial base because what we saw is the just-in-time kind of uh, efforts that the, the move over the last couple of 20, 30 years has potentially uh, impacted the industrial base in a way that we didn't think about. You all have launched an, something called the Industrial Base Expansion Connect, IBX Connect initiative. Tell us what that is. That's from February, and, and we can get into some of those details. Great. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Um, glad you asked about IBX Connect. It's something we're very proud of. As you mentioned, it was just launched in February. Um, as And as the name implies, it's designed to connect our industry partners with ASPR and the government. Um, so it helps us to uncover some of those novel solutions. So things we never thought about or we're not aware of that are happening in industry. It might be that small company who's come up with a technology that could be breakthrough that nobody really knows about. So it gives them an opportunity to present to the government um, something that they feel either helps us to meet a public health emergency response now that could support us or could be in the future. So it's definitely something we want to um, have open. It's usually a very uh, casual conversation. And uh, again, it provides that dialogue and that transparency with the private sector and the government um, th that we found is, is super helpful. So it's an online platform. Um, companies can request a meeting with the ASPR. And again, we include other government agencies, uh, typically DOD, CDC, NIH, FDA will all have representatives on that uh, call with us. Um, they'll have experts in product development and manufacturing, and we allow the companies who are presenting to discuss their technologies and um, let us know, again, how that might support a program that we have. Um, it could be on expanding their domestic manufacturing, making it more efficient, um, or it could be other, other technologies that might be advanced manufacturing to make um, to make something faster, to make it distributive so that you can um, move it to the location of an incident. During that meeting, there's a very open discussion. We provide recommendations on further work, how it might fit into our response or one of our programs. We give them technical advice um, on uh, those products. We also um, can direct them if the if we find that their technology is something that would fit and that we could use, we will direct them to one of our solicitations. Um, and that's where they can actually submit a proposal and have it considered. Um, so I do have to caveat that by having an IBX Connect meeting does not necessarily guarantee funding. So that's uh, something we want, always want to make sure is clear upfront. Again, it's an informal conversation. It's for us to be able to give feedback on how we see it might fit um, or it might not, or we might say it's too early stage. Um, but funding, again, is not a direct uh, guarantee um, from this outcome, but it does help for companies because we know even pro providing a proposal can be a lot of work and a lot of effort. So by getting that feedback from the government up front, um, we can help them streamline and become more efficient and not waste time if we feel like it's not something that should be pursued. Um, there are multiple key interests that we look for um, as they apply for these meetings. Uh, one of them is advanced manufacturing efforts for drug substance and drug products. Again, that's looking at um, some of the technologies specifically for onshoring of APIs, which we know is a gap, um, that can make it more cost efficient um, and appealing for companies to manufacture domestically. Again, that's looking at the potential um, process efficiencies, again, because they're trying to be competitive with global suppliers. Also, we have uh, supply chain optimization is an area we look for, testing and diagnostics of devices and those consumables that are used to make those devices. 
Um, and then personal protective equipment. Another critical area that we found was definitely in short supply um, during the COVID response. So we're all, always looking at new technologies and efficiencies um, in those manufacturing processes. So yeah, we're looking forward to that. We welcome everyone um, to submit to IBX Connect. Um, and we, we really um, are happy to engage in companies um, and learn about some of these new technologies. Again, looking for that breakthrough. There might be something that you know no one's ever thought of and um, it might be us that ends up providing the funding to help uh, springboard that product and, and help us in the next pandemic. Two things that come to mind about this, and I appreciate the fact you were upfront to say, this is not, there's no guaranteed funding. It's kind of a get to know you initial conversation. How are you finding companies? Because they, they can't always find you. Or is there so many companies out there that they do a, good, a pretty good job finding you all? Uh, because, you know, I could say, well, how do I know if I'm the right fit? How do I know if I, uh, if what you're looking for fits into one of those areas you went through? Like, how's that communication been working in, in the short term you, you've launched since, since February? Yeah, so um, we do a lot of outreach on social media. So we let people know that it's out there. Um, also, you know, we're attending a lot of conferences, um, supply chain efforts. So we're trying to get the word out that this is available. Um, so yeah, it's it's not a foolproof um, method, um, but yeah, word of mouth is a big one. Um, and also as companies approach us really outside of IBX Connect, uh, we often direct them there and we tell them, you know, the, you know, they ask, we always get incoming requests for meetings um, regardless uh, into HHS for different purposes. And if it fits, we redirect them to IBX Connect and that way they get a, a better audience, right? They're, they're getting touched and spoken to, or they have uh, people represent again from the multiple interagencies. So, uh, you know, that's just an area we feel like, um, you know, one of the things I'm not sure many know about government contracting, once you actually submit a proposal into the system, there's somewhat of a cone of silence. So you end up having to work with a contracting officer and we can't have as open a dialogue because then you're in a, a competitive um, award process. So it's nicer to be able to have that conversation again upfront, give you feedback um, before you enter into the formal process where we've actually submitted a proposal. I think those of us who are in the government contracting world have seen it from the outside in. <laughs> we, we all know those big, big challenges for sure. Uh, yes. And the nice thing about this is, is ahead of that process, so you can have those good, deep, deep conversations. Uh, roughly speaking, how many uh, meetings or how many products have you seen? How has the IBX Connect program been working so far? Anything, any highlights you'd like to, to, to uh, talk about? Um, no, not from any specific companies, but we've had a really good response. We actually have, I want to say um, in our last meeting, we were at 99 government um, representatives that are participating on these meetings. So it's a, a really wide audience and they're not always there for every meeting. So they know ahead of time what the topic is. So we've got different areas of interest. Um, and then we've also similarly had a really good response with companies that are applying uh, for the meeting. So, you know, we're averaging a couple meetings a week. Um, which is good because everyone is doing this kind of in addition to their day jobs. So it, it's a nice rhythm to be able to, to speak with these companies, um, you know, as, as programs also open up, as we get funding for additional programs, you know, we will be um, advertising this even more as we're looking to help um, meet those requirements. Um, and then we hope that we'll even get even more participation. All right. We will also link on uh, federalnewsnetwork.com to uh, the IBX Connect uh, website. Yeah, can help also uh, help get the word out a little bit more. 
I'm going to just switch gears a little bit because I think the, the other side of this discussion around supply chain and modernizing it is the workforce and uh, change management. Oh, that's, you know, Arlene, we haven't done that that way before. Why are we going to do it this way, right? Government is known to be a little risk averse. So yeah. you, and when you come to managing supply chains, especially when you have an emergency, like you said, or a crisis, you have to be a little innovative. So maybe talk a little bit about the, that change management effort around re-looking and rethinking about the, that supply chain modernization. So yeah, and it's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, our supply chain needs, we know, are constantly evolving, right? So um, we address supply chain initially from our perspective with the height of COVID, and now things are waning just a bit. Um, demands are different. Um, masks are not uh, mandatory in, in most settings. So again, the, the supply and demand thing, issues have um, have evolved, and they're continuing to do that. So we're always seeking best practices. Uh, we're consulting with experts in the field to ensure that our supply chain initiatives are robust and effective. Um, we're working with trade organizations and getting input from them as well. Um, again, those are private, I would say private, public kind of organizations, but they represent a large uh, body of membership in the different sectors. Um, so we like to work with them and get that overview uh, from them as well. Uh, we participate in various tabletop exercises um, that use scenario-driven assessments of our country's capabilities and, and capacities. Uh, we want to use those opportunities to identify gaps or weaknesses in what our plans are for response um, for public health emergencies and also make adjustments as necessary. So we've learned that we have to be agile, we have to be nimble, and we have to be able to change direction if, if, if the circumstances change. Um, so we think that that's very important. Um, it's a great opportunity, these table talk exercises also for training um, and just information sharing. So uh, we try to have the tabletop exercise include not only government agencies, but also the private sector as well. Again, so trying to get that input. Um, we are building more collaborations within the government, as I mentioned. We're having more conversations on each of the different agencies. What is their mission? What is their role? What are their responsibilities? And what authorities do they have? So, you know, I think we did a little bit of, um, you know, quick responding during the COVID. Now we want to step back and say, okay, what did you do? How did you do it? Or should that be somebody else's role? Or is there something that nobody was covering um, that, that we need to build into our playbook for the next response? So that's something that we're doing within uh, interagency within the government. Um, but we also are listening to the communities, as I mentioned. So we're participating in relevant conferences, meeting with these trade organizations that have specific insights into supply chains, such as PPE testing and these advanced manufacturing technologies. Um, and, and as I mentioned previously, these challenges really require a whole of government and honestly, a whole of nation approach. Um, my industrial-based management supply chain office can't do it alone. ASPR can't do it alone and HHS can't do it alone. So we really have to work with our private sector companies and academia, um, as well as these other government agencies to ensure that we establish a solid preparedness posture uh, for that next public health emergency. And hopefully, to address um, the next, I'll say, once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, that we don't want to have one, but we want to be prepared to address it. And I think you said at the very beginning of our conversation, there's always seems to be a new crisis. So if you're not prepared for whatever is coming next, you're going to be struggling. And, and unfortunately, as you said, nobody wants to repeat kind of that initial days of COVID, those initial months of COVID, where 
the supply chain was was stretched so thin. Uh, Arlene, we are out of time for today. So I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. So let me thank my guest. Arlene Joyner is the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Director of the Office of Industrial-Based Management and Supply Chain for the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response in the Department of Health and Human Services. Arlene, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed Supply Chain, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search EY. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed Supply Chain, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network.